Roan Mountain Radio, episode 68. Welcome to Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. This is a podcast about Roan Mountain, the jewel of the Southern Appalachian Mountains, always located on the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk to Dr. Stephen Hopp, who is the speaker for the Saturday evening presentation at the 54th Annual Fall Naturalist Rally. But first, a couple of uh, housekeeping notes. The Fall Naturalist Rally coming very, very quickly, September 9th, 10th, and 11th. Meal deadline is is, uh, (laughs) September the 6th. Get your meal reservations in to Nancy by September the 6th. If you don't, come on out anyway. Bring a sandwich. Join us at the conference center. We have a big weekend coming. Also, the rally brochure and registration are available for download. Just go to Roan Mountain Radio, episode 68. They're in the show notes and the links there. Or go to friendsofroanmountain.org. They're also available for downloading there. Oh, also the kids Saturday. I've broken out all of the 15, well, just for Saturday, there are 15 kid-friendly activities. September the 10th at the Fall Rally starting at 8.30. It's not quite the extreme run adventures. There's 8.30 adventures and 2 o'clock adventures, activities during lunch and after the program Saturday night. So be sure to check that out if you have any questions about it, appropriate age group or whatever. Give me a call, drop me an email. We'll get that squared away. But awesome list of kid-friendly activities at the Fall Naturalist Rally. Download that. Links on the uh, Roan Mountain Radio 68 edition. Also, go ahead and tell you about the little bonus information. It is not on Roan Mountain, but Dr. Stephen Hopp is our presenter, but he is also a multifaceted person. One of the facets is he is the director of the MetaView Farmers Guild and Harvest table restaurant this is in metaview virginia it is a farm to table restaurant check out the links there if you're out and about this fall looking at the leaves and happen to be anywhere near metaview virginia check out the harvest table restaurant truly a farm to table dining experience links on this email and also the roan mountain radio episode 68 okay program title for dr hop beyond birding a look at the life history of local songbirds. Something I didn't think about, but he brought up some very good additional birding information. And I know birders who are very big on counts and life counts and year counts, they mark it off of their list for that year or for their life. Say, okay, I've seen this bird. I can go on to the next one. Dr. Hop is talking about additional going on beyond birding. And he brought up some very interesting ideas. Enjoy this conversation with us. Here's Dr. Stephen Hopp. Beyond Birding, your presentation for Saturday, September the 10th at the Friends of Roan Mountain Naturalist Rally. I have been studying songbirds and in particular different species of vireos for the last 25 or 30 years. And I started with an interest in song behavior, which led me, in the way that I was asking questions about it, to become much more interested in just sort of the little lives that they lead, how they spend a day, how they spend their week, how they spend their nesting season. And that led me to wonder about their migration, 
and how they spent their winter. So I started spending time on their wintering grounds, and it sort of unlocks lots of different things about sort of the secret life of birds. Over the years, I have met lots of birders in lots of different locations, both in and out of this country, and I'm always sort of amazed by the subset of birders who are very good at identifying, but they really don't know very much about the lives of the individual birds. And that's really the niche that I want to try and occupy in this talk. So you, you study specifically the vireos. Yeah, the vireo. I, I would, when I was in graduate school, I was told by a professor that if you wanted to become the world's expert in something, pick something very obscure. And <laughs> it's a little bit laughable, but, you know, it's sort of true. You know, if you, if you want to study you know, like, you know, gasoline production, then you've got, you got a lot of competition to become the world's expert. But if you pick an a arcane thing like <laughs> the white-eyed vireo, then you can, in fact, rise to world status very quickly because the number of people who really are super interested in that is so small that eventually you, the, the six or seven of you just start talking to each other. <laughs> you know, and that, that sounds hilarious. I mean, it really does. But, you know, in, sometimes in academics, you know, that's the, that's the way it goes. But, you know, you okay. start with specific and then you move to general. You know, so you, you start with a wide-eyed vireo and you look at, for example, you know, you, you start asking questions from, you know, what would be something like, you know, an old natural history perspective. How many eggs do they lay? How many nests do they have in a season? You know, what are the circumstances around nesting? Are they monogamous? Do the, does a pair come together and stay together during the course of the season? You know, how likely is it if they have eggs in a nest that all four of the eggs that they lay are going to make it out of the nest, are going to survive through the nesting period? How long are they in the nest? Once they leave the nest, do they ever come back to the nest? Even though there's all these different questions like this, and they're just simple questions that are answered by taking the time to observe. Okay, so they're they're sort of observational questions, and you do that by banding individuals. You put little color bands on them so you can track them. And I have always been amazed at when you do that, and the animal becomes an individual, then your motive becomes very different than bird watching because in bird watching a simple way to put it is you're as a bird watcher you know a lot of bird watchers are listers and your motive when you go out in the field is to try and maximize the number of species on your list for the day right right but when you're studying individual birds like this what you do is you spend an entire day sometimes with one individual bird you know picture sitting in a blind for four hours with a telescope trained on a nest, and all you do is you simply watch, and it, it's funny how you can double task. you got one eye on the telescope, and the other eye can do other things. You know, in this day and age, you'd be on smartphones, and the past you'd be taking notes or something. And when a bird comes to the nest, it's there for seconds, and that's what you get. <laughs> you know, and it, it's hard for people to understand that, but you accumulate information. How often do they visit the nest when they're feeding the babies? Does the male or the female bring most of the food? What kind of food do they bring? You know, see, the, all of these questions are just, 
you know, what are these birds' lives like? But I, earlier I said you start with the specific and you go to the general. So you, you, you learn about the wide-eyed vireo, and then you ask, you know, how is that different from the other birds that it shares its habitat with? How is that different from the other vireos? How did these tendencies arise in evolutionary history? Where, you know, what are the demands on this animal to sort of make it through a year in order to survive, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, these are the kinds of questions. And it's sort of endless, and it's hard to pack sort of a nice package into one. You know, I presume this will be about a 45-minute or 50-minute lecture that with a little bit of time for questions. Um, right, that'd be great. And what I'm doing is I'm going to take a songbird that migrates, and specifically the white-eyed vireo, and a songbird that does not migrate. It's a resident here year-round, and it's a bird people are familiar with, the Carolina wren. People are probably more familiar with the Carolina wren, and I use it as a good reference point and ask, how are these two similar? How are their lives alike? You know, because they're both little birds, and it seems like a lot of the things that they do would be very similar. And how are they different? Because one of those birds goes from here to the Yucatan Peninsula and back every year as an adult or returns. And the Carolina wren doesn't do that. So if you think about that, that's a huge difference in the demands on their little life, the energetics, the likelihood of returning, what kind of demands it puts on them, how they evade predators, how they make it, you know, how they get there in the first place, what they eat on the way, how they learn to navigate from one place to another. I have banded birds, color-banded birds, that stay in a particular territory during the course of a summer. You know, so you be a, little, a bird that comes in and let's say April, you get a little color band on a, a vireo, or any bird okay. for that matter, a black-throated blue warbler or an indigo bunting, doesn't really matter. You put a band on this little bird. And then at the end of the season, now they're starting to sort of gear up to migrate. And by the beginning of October, maybe into the very first couple of weeks of October, all of those little birds will leave on migration. And the amazing thing, even though I've seen it hundreds of times over the decades, is when that little bird that I put a little color band on comes back to that very same territory the next year, it's miraculous. It's absolutely miraculous. And it, it's, a, it's a thrilling moment that every single year when I see it, it just makes me gasp. I mean, it just really does. Here's a, here's a tiny little bird that will fit in the palm of your hand that went, you know, and it's hard to know exactly where they go. There's some people who study that, you know, the, the right. connection between the wintering and summer grounds. They'll go down and they'll, you know, indigo bunting might go to Cuba. Wide-eyed vireo might go, you know, who knows, who knows where they go. They might go down into central Mexico. You know, they might go down to Veracruz. They might go down to the Yucatan. That's where most of them are is, the, is that area along the east coast of Mexico and the Yucatan Peninsula. And then somehow it makes all its, its way all the way back to exactly where it was the year before. It's a miracle. I mean, it's an absolute <laughs> miracle, you know, and you think you'd get tired of it, but, you, you, you know, you, it's astounding. I mean, it's absolutely astounding to see that. It gives me chills just thinking about I that. Know. I mean, it really does, and they become individuals. I mean, that's the other thing in comparing it to, you know, sort of a, a shotgun bird-watching approach is when you, when you ban an individual and you start tracking it, they become individuals, and there are little nuances about what they do that mark them as individuals. You know, it's just like it's just like farm animals. When you look at a field full of cows, 
they're individuals, and the people who know them, if there's not too many, I mean, if you have too many, you can't keep track of them. But if you have a small group, you can keep track, and they, and they have, you know, you're reluctant to say personalities, but their proclivities are different. You know, the way they right. behave is a little bit different. They have little cohorts, like these three cows sort of hang out with each other. Sometimes the mother and the calf will stay together throughout the entire life until you force them to separate. And the birds right. are like that, too. They have these certain proclivities. They might... You know, one male might prefer to be up toward the top of the trees when he sings, and another one might like to be sort of out on the perimeter in the middle part of the tree, and you see that as a pattern that repeats over and over again. Well, I hope you got some information to add to your birding, to enhance your birding activities. I think that's some really interesting information. I know right now I've got hummingbirds coming through to my hummingbird feeder, and I've sat there and watched them thinking, have these birds been here before? Is this some last year's? Where did they go since I saw them last year? Is it the same birds? Is it their children they could be grandchildren or great grand birds by now interesting things i think he's on to a really interesting topic and i know you'll all enjoy it whether you're a birder or a fanatical birder i'll just leave it at that okay check out the links in the description check out the friends of roan mountain if you need the brochure friends of roanmountain.org or roan mountain radio episode 68 kids schedule bonus information on the harvest table rally brochure I think that takes care of it. That's it for this edition of Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the mountain, and I hope to see you at the Fall Naturalist Rally.